So what's been happening? Like, I know you're back coaching now. You're in a gym now. You're a mom and you're in a gym. <laughs> yeah, I, well, officially I went back on Friday. Um, that was mm. my first day back in the gym. And um, it was actually really nice, to be honest. It was nice to just be fully in back in the gym, back working again, back as kind of, you know, putting on my coach hat. Um, and uh, yeah, it was kind of surreal. It felt like I'd never, yeah. never left, to be honest. <laughs> but it was really nice. Is it, I guess it's like you've taken a big break and then you've come back. I, like, does it feel like you've gotten, and I don't want this to come off negative, but it does it feel like you've kind of got a little, little bit of yourself back. You know, oh, like if you've been dedicated to mum life for however long, it's like when you step back into being a like working and doing Steph things, it's it must feel kind of nice. I think I've talked about this a lot actually on my Instagram. Like being a coach is a big part of my identity. Being a CrossFit trainer is a big part of my identity. And so when I stepped away from that, um, even though to be honest the time just flew like honestly I cannot believe that it has been nearly four months since I was in the gym um but yeah I I stepped in there and I was by myself again and I was in my space and I just was like oh yeah this is this is who I am absolutely yeah so it I don't think it's negative at all and I think if you speak to any mum who it um, has gone through that stepping away of their career, stepping away from their, you know, role uh, outside of being a mum. It, it's a, it's a transition, and there's there's even a word for it. And I wish I'd written it down, but there's a word for the the transition that a woman goes through when they kind of leave their role from um, before having a, a baby and then back into it, um, uh, into that real mum role. Um, it's a, it's a very bizarre thing. And I, I cried a lot. I cried a lot. <laughs> I just started watching the next gen, uh, CrossFit games podcast and Annie Thurr's daughter is interviewed a ton in it because she had the year off to have the baby. And so this, like the video or the documentary is from when she comes back and she has this incredible moment where she's being interviewed about being a mom and giving birth. And she's like, Oh, my birth was really, really hard. And then you hold your baby and you're, you just are elated and you're in this little bliss bubble and it feels incredible. And you've never experienced that level of love. But then she said it was like two or three days later that she had just as much as, her high was, you know, the degree to which she was high on in the moment that she held her baby, that was the same degree to which she hit an all-time low immediately afterwards. She was like, man, like it was, you know, it was full on. It was really hard. And I guess what you're hearing more and more is like women talking openly about the real experience of being a mom. And it's not like what you see in movies and it's not, you know, like the Disney version of being a mom is not like, ah, oh, this all just rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> No, and the same can be said for the birth itself, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get there. But, um, you know, my experience was very different from that. I had a fantastic birth, and every time I say that, people are like, is that a real thing? Can you yeah, have a fantastic birth? Yeah, like, I bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a really wonderful birth experience. Um, but I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was in this beautiful bliss bubble once he was with me. Um, I think that had to do with stuff that kind of happened immediately after the birth, but um, it took me a long time to really warm up to him and really get this sense of like, oh, this is something, this is a human being that I made, like this is a piece of me and I am 
like I cannot see my life ever being without this little human. Um, that yeah. didn't happen straight away. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, well, let's let's just backtrack. Let's go back to you getting pregnant. Um, yes. Like, did you guys start, like, tell me, just tell me the story of, like, you getting pregnant and then you going through pregnancy. Please tell us all the details on training and food because we all obviously want to know. <laughs> I am oh, making serious notes. <laughs> well, do it. Um, so I think um, it was, it's been a journey for me. Um, my... Um, a fertility journey has been an experience in and of itself. Um, I worked with you, Kate, uh, a few years ago on my uh, hormone health and I had um, seen a naturopath. Um, I had irregular cycles and I was really convinced down to my core that it was going to be really, really difficult for me to fall pregnant. Um, yeah, and you had someone tell you that you had PCOS, yeah? Well, that was confirmed by an by a, um, uh, ultrasound, I think. Yeah, which was ended up being bullshit. Um, yeah, which I was like, I think it was just normal ultrasound that someone diagnoses with PCOS, right? The more research I, because I went to the end of the earth to research yeah. everything that was going on with me. And um, yeah, I realized that you can't even be diagnosed with PCOS by ultrasound. Um, and so it was actually really disheartening that whole experience medically because um, I really was basically told that I was going to have a really hard time and that um, doctors didn't really want to know me until I wanted to fall pregnant and that then they would help me with my cons like my my journey to conceive um, so yeah I was really I was really disappointed in the in the medical industry from that point of view and I saw lots of different doctors and spoke to lots of different people and um, in the end it was actually my nutrition coaches who actually helped me the most with that journey um, you know, yourself, Paige um, included, um, and also Claire, uh, she was a big part of, you know, getting yeah. me from point A to point B. Um, anyway, I guess that kind of that whole story and the fact that I thought it was going to take me a really long time and be really hard led me to the point where we um, decided to start trying because I was like, look, it could take forever. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> could be three years. Could be. <laughs> neck so, neck like, minute. <laughs> let's let's just get this party started um and uh, I'm pretty sure that the night we decided that we were going to start trying was the night that we um conceived it so um yeah that's so good Ironic. some people hate you right now but that's awesome well I understand that but also I I do really want to um emphasize the fact that this wasn't a butter bing butter boom story like I had spent four to five years really working hard on my hormone health, on my diet, on my stress, on all of the things that contributed to the, the reality that was my irregular cycles, because that was a big part of um, my what I struggled with. And um, I had actually tried to conceive with a partner previously, and we weren't successful. So um, it is it, it wasn't just this straightforward thing, even though the story sounds like it in isolation. Yeah, well, I think that's it. It's like people think of just making the baby as like the main event. And I think that's when people get frustrated when they cannot fall pregnant. And it's like, hey, 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 have a look at your past five years. What's your period like? What's your stress like? What's your lifestyle like? What's your diet like? Do you move your body? Like, are you physically fit? And I think, yeah. like you said, doctors don't give a shit if you're not actually sick. 
like, if you come to me and you're sick and you want to have a baby, okay, we can address this and we'll treat the symptoms. But there's no like health model of fit of, uh, of treating people that come to you with like, I have an irregular period. It's like, okay, well, do you want to have a baby? No. Okay. Well, you can go on the pill. And then when you want to have a baby, go off the pill. It's like, man, it's just, it's, it's brutal. It's totally brutal, but that's, that's cool. I think, I think you're, you're just testament to the power of like, if you are looking after your health overall and you pay attention to it and you're trying to optimize it, then when you're ready to do those things, then it can happen. And I, I say the same thing for like menopause with regards to not being on things like birth control and being healthy. It's like, we're not just doing it for preventing babies. It's also because this sets you up for the most or the best possible uh, chance of actually falling pregnant when you're ready to do that. And then of hitting menopause or perimenopause and having an experience that's not fucking hell because you understand your body and you understand what it means to be healthy. Oh, for sure. I mean, there are so many factors and, you know, like definitely don't want to minimize anyone's infertility journey because it can be so disheartening and so stressful and so traumatizing. Um, but I guess, you know, it, it has happened for me and I'm very, very grateful that it has, but I, I also understand the, the trauma that can um, occur when things aren't going right and you don't understand why. And that's, you know, even just being, I've been off the pill for nearly six years at this point as well, and I still didn't have regular cycles. And so it, it was a, it was a freak miracle you know babies really are miracles and it is actually amazing how hard it is to conceive um when you actually know what it takes for it to happen it's you know we're drilled drilled into us how scary it is to fall pregnant and how easily it can happen and then I guess that that's part of the reason why when it doesn't happen you think to yourself what am I doing wrong what's wrong with me why isn't this as yeah. easy as people say it is um and it's just not it's just not that easy um mm. so yeah, it was um, it was a big surprise, to be honest. It was a massive, massive surprise and we weren't ready. And it, uh, you know, I don't think you'll ever be ready for a baby, but we certainly were not ready um, when we found out that I was pregnant. That's amazing. <laughs> so then what happened? What did you do with training? Like, I know that you would have gone into many, many rabbit holes with food and nutrition and all that jazz. What did you do? What was your, like, what were your go-to resources? Well, so I guess initially we were in lockdown when I found out I was pregnant. So basically my whole first trimester we were in lockdown, thank God, because I had <laughs> I had really, really bad morning sickness that lasted all day and all night. Um, I basically just felt like from about five weeks onwards, I felt like I was on a boat and I get really bad motion sickness uh, on the water. So um yeah it was pretty terrible that that whole first trimester up until about 13 weeks so my training was really hit and miss because I only did it when I felt like I could um I couldn't do anything that had me sort of bending down and standing back up again because I just would get really dizzy and just feel really sick and so I just had to pick my moments and again we were really lucky because we were in lockdown and so if I felt good at you know, 2.30 in the afternoon, I could just go out and do something. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it, was, it was a big challenge for me because I'm very used to training whenever and always feeling, I guess, up for it. And um, there were just so many days there where I, I didn't get out of bed until 10 a.m. because I just couldn't even sit up. It was just, it was pretty brutal. Um, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty brutal. And then in terms of food, um, I guess like 
you kind of just go down the old wives tale sort of route where I tried to just have something really basic in the morning, um, like crackers or plain toast. Um, and then um, as the day went on, if I started to feel better, that's when I would really start to introduce a little bit more of a well-balanced diet. But I have to say, it wasn't my best eating and I will be the first one to put my hand up and say like I had no shame in eating chicken nuggets or salty chips or whatever it was that I was <laughs> because uh, to be honest it's uh some days it was just a matter of getting something in rather than worrying about what it was um because yeah yes my stomach was just in complete and utter disarray oh god brutal cheers so yeah. how long did that last yeah, so I think my, I think it lasted until about thirteen weeks. But again, we're not really sure because um, the, I kind of got altering opinions on how far along I was. So I could have been eleven weeks, I could have been thirteen weeks. I don't really know. But in in mm. the grand scheme of things, it was around that sort of twelve week mark where I started to come good and feel better. Um, and then I relied heavily on um, Carl actually because he has been a CrossFit coach for 10 years now. He has had many a women come through the gym who have been in different stages of pregnancy. And um, he has done far more study and has many more qualifications than I do in the CrossFit uh, world. And um, so it was really nice actually to have him as like a basically a, you know, a resource on hand um, as for, you know, what to do, what not to do. Um, and I really went down the safe route when it came to training. I really didn't push myself to do anything that didn't feel good um, because I just knew that at the end of the day, it really wasn't worth it. Like, so what I could do keeping pull-ups when I was 20 weeks pregnant, I just really didn't give an absolute crap because I wanted to come out of it being able to get back into training sooner rather than smashing myself during my pregnancy and then having all sorts of issues to deal with afterwards. Yeah, I think it's okay to like almost undermine or not undermine, underestimate your ability rather than overestimate it. Um, and I think that's kind of the general approach. It's one of those things that's so hard. It's like there's no real good research and data on it because it's unethical to study pregnant women and do experiments with them. Um, but yeah, I think it is one of those things where there's some basic guidelines um, around movements and there's some incredibly smart people out there that are doing great courses and things for it. But um, it, it is so individual um, and it, it depends on where you started as well. Like, you know, you having done CrossFit for however many years versus someone who's been CrossFitting for one year, totally different like position that you're in. So what were, what were the movements that you immediately dropped out? Like what were some of the things that were immediate changes? I know you said you didn't do kipping. Did you drop kipping out pretty early on? Oh yeah, I, I I actually dropped pull-ups pretty early as well. Um, so it's it's a hard feeling to describe, but basically once you start to feel as though you're showing in some way, shape, or form, it's 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 almost like this pull that comes from your belly button and kind of pulls upwards towards your your rib cage. And I felt that pull really early on. So I think I was only you know eight or nine weeks when I was kind of like you know that just doesn't feel good for me and. I kind of just dropped anything that had me feeling that kind of pull. Um, and so they say that ab movements are fine for the first um, trimester, but I didn't really do any sit-ups or any any toes to bar, anything that really um, challenged my midline in that, in that way. I did some planks 
Um, but I, yeah, I really kind of cut out all of that sort of stuff very early on. Um, and then I cut out barbell work when I started getting a sore lower back. So my chiropractor basically said to me that now that I have a, a, a bump, even though it wasn't very big at that point, I reckon I was probably, we would have been back in the gym. So I was probably 16 weeks maybe. Um, and, uh, I was doing some barbell cleans and she sort of said to me, look, let's just call this as like the last time you do that. And, um, just use dumbbells from now. So because you're starting to become so front heavy, everything starts to pay out on your lower back. And we know that we know how the, you know, the, um, the relationship between your core and your back has such a, you know, harmonious relationship. And so, um, yeah, I, as soon as she said that, I was like, cool. Yeah gone I mean it's such a short part of my life as in my whole life that it um I just didn't I didn't question it I didn't rebut it I just was like cool let's let's drop it and then even ring rose towards the end anything that sort of started to um have my stomach kind of start to protrude out if I saw that in any way um I just stopped that movement immediately and never did it again yeah okay yeah yeah I think it's like there's some kind of physical cues that you can get from your body with regards to how it feels or even what it's doing like you said like when it's protruding protruding if you're contracting and stuff like that I think the good thing about CrossFit is it's like there are so many movements that we do you drop out a barbell it's like it doesn't make it any easier (laughs) no absolutely not and when you're when your lungs are literally up here in your throat because everything (laughs) is just pushing upwards um you're kind of happy to you know to make any changes that make life just a little bit easier because yeah I couldn't believe how quickly I felt like I was running out of air Um, I was gonna ask you was it like like you just couldn't breathe like you had no capacity did you just feel unfit did you feel heavy like what was the sensation you're like all of the above (laughs) all all of those things all of those things um yeah I felt like savagely unfit um because I I don't even I don't even know if it was shortness of breath or whether it was just capacity I think it was both of those things it was just that everything starts to become so squished and compacted like all of your organs move up and out of the way and your lungs move and everything just gets so squished up into this small compartment that um I just don't think I could just get the air in and out in the way that I am used to in the way that I normally would. Um, and, uh, and I felt heavy like box jumps. I had to cut them out as soon as I started to feel like my, I don't know. It's like when you've done like a heavy deadlift workout and then you try to do box jumps and you feel like you don't, you can't feel your legs. and You, <laughs> yeah. jump. you don't and know how like, high you're going to get when you jump. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And I was like, I, just don't feel safe doing this anymore. And that was one of the things I learned when I did my level three, that box jumps were, you know, become something that should be cut out um, kind of after that second trimester for mainly balance and safety reasons. But for me, it's just, it was, I just felt so heavy and I just didn't feel safe. Um, But it gave me a really good understanding of what it would be like if I was um, carrying extra weight. And it, it gave me a whole new perspective on, you know, coaching and how people might feel with certain movements, um, you know, in the, in that kind of situation, which I had never experienced before because I had personally had never been overweight. Um, and n- just knowing how that felt was kind of like a, a nice awakening for me as a coach to be able to understand that. 
Yeah, I remember having that experience with someone, a woman that I coached in Brisbane who was incredibly obese um, and she did really well for a long time. And the it was a bit of a learning curve for me for sure because things like burpees and things like lunges, it was like some of the really basic things that were really challenging. Um, and then on top of that, you get people who then suddenly feel really self-conscious and they aren't feeling good because they can't do stuff like that. And it's like when you're sitting on your couch at home, you don't realize how little capacity you have. And so as much as it's incredible that people go into the gym, suddenly all the shit that they've got going on gets exposed and it can be incredibly discouraging. But yeah, I think it's, you've had incredible insight, right? Like as a coach for anyone who's in that position or anyone who's pregnant now, it's like you've, you've had the firsthand experience. Oh, for sure. And, and like my, my advice would be, you have to just be willing to listen to your body. And then I think, especially for me as a coach, uh, I really had to just like let go of all of my ego. You know, all of a sudden I was somebody who couldn't do a lot of things. Um, and that made it, it made it harder for me than I thought it would to be, to do things in the gym and get into the gym and do things like the open. Cause I did the open, um, all of the workouts of the open. Um, and, you know, to let my athletes see me in that way was incredibly uh, vulnerable for me. It was an incredibly yeah. vulnerable experience. Um, but I don't think that I have had as many positive comments from my athletes from doing that than ever before. You know, yeah, it was cool when I did a muscle up in the open and, you know, everyone cheered and it was like a whole wonderful experience. But, you know, no one really came up to me afterwards and like, oh, you're such a, you know, such an inspiration. Whereas like that, that really happened from letting myself become so vulnerable and having to scale so heavily. Um, yeah, because you did the whole open, right? You did all the three events. Yeah. How far along were you when you did the open? So the last open workout was on the on Saturday and then I went into labor on Monday. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I remember I, you messaging me. <laughs> I was like, this is event four, right? <laughs> That's exactly what you said to me. You're like, cool, open workout number four, let's go. Um, You've been training yeah. for this. <laughs> Shit. Uh, so before yeah. we get to your birth thing, I do yes. still want to ask you, um, did you, with your, I know you made adjustments with training and, and a lot of that is just learning to step back. Um and I, I guess you probably experienced having to have a bit of a shifted mindset. And it's something that I struggle with. I know that I'm really motivated when I have a goal and I know I'm competing and the open's coming up and you know that you can just push yourself to be fit as fuck. And that's the ultimate goal. It's like, you know, yeah. we think of the sickness wellness fitness continuum and it's like, I'm trying to be fit. I'm trying to be as fit as I can. That's oh, the yeah. push. That's yeah. the, yeah, yeah. And suddenly it's like when you're pregnant it's like, well, I mean, it doesn't change, but the relativity of it changes. So it's, it's a little bit different. And I think um, something that I struggle with is training for training's sake, just for the pure enjoyment of just like showing up and moving your body um, and not necessarily having to smash it and, and race someone and like get a PB because last week you did X amount of weight on the back squat and this week you want to try and do a little bit more. It's like you, you just have to, I guess, let all of that go. Oh, and it's so, it's so hard, but we have to practice what we preach. Like, we're CrossFit trainers and we talk about training for life and being fit for life. And so I think that if we're going to be those people and if we're going to say those things and we also have to walk that walk. And for me, this was a just the perfect opportunity for me to really step into that role and step into those shoes and be like, I am just doing this so that I can continue to be fit once I've had my baby, but also because 
pregnant women can still exercise and should still exercise. It's very good for the baby. There's as much as we don't have a lot of, um, uh, I guess, scientific um, evidence to, you know, say what movements we should do and shouldn't do. We do have a lot that suggests that training and, and being fit and continuing to exercise is very good for um, the unborn. So um, I was just trying to go into it and try to keep myself, you know, active and moving. Um, and I think that that helped me to, I guess, not fall into that pregnancy trap of just wanting to sit down and put my feet up all the time as well, because I was like, no, I can keep moving and I can keep doing this. And every time I trained, I felt better. Um, yeah. But it's a huge, it's a huge mindset shift. And it's one that I think will challenge me whether I have an injury or whether I'm pregnant or whether, you know, there's anything else going on in my life. But at the end of the day, I know that doing CrossFit makes me a better human. And so I just wanted to keep going and continue to show people that you can keep going when you're pregnant as well, which was kind of cool. I was lucky though. Yeah. I was lucky. Yeah, this is true. I guess everyone's going to be a little bit different, but um, yeah, I've talked about this with regard to injuries and people being like, you know, how do you, how do you adjust and what do you do with training and, and, you know, getting into the little detailed bits of actually the movements or, or how you approach a session. And it's like, man, you just adapt. You just have to figure out a way to adapt and just keep showing up because it's not that you're just working through this injury. It's that you're working through however many injuries and sprains and strains that you get throughout your life, which you will do if you do CrossFit. It's part of it. Um, and then you're also thinking about, okay, if I learn to adapt for that, then if I get sick, if I get COVID, then I know how to adjust. If I get pregnant, then I know how to adjust. When I get older, I know how to adjust. So we're not learning to just change for this one moment in time, we're actually learning how as humans we can adapt and still get this enjoyable reward from moving our body and just being generally healthy, even if we aren't charging towards the podium of the CrossFit Games. Like, you know, it's it's this funny thing where people feel so, uh, feel like it's so difficult when they can't be consistent. But the fact of the matter is, is that across our life, consistency will never be what we want it to be that, you know, consistency is is short term at best so learning to be consistent when life is inconsistent is actually the goal and that requires just adapting and i think that obviously pregnancy is an incredible test of that how well can you adapt you will be tested pregnancy might be one injury might be another getting old we're all going to get old so you better fucking learn to adapt now right 100% and be okay with it being boring for a little while you know like like life life isn't always fun um I, I think that you know I hear athletes say this all the time like oh you know I'm, I have to do the same things because I'm injured you know I, I my my list of movements has become a lot less and it's become boring and it's like well you know what like sometimes it's gonna be boring and that's a part of yeah, it. you're like tough shit <laughs> sometimes it's gonna be boring and you just have to kind of be okay with that because it's true it's true it's not always going to be boring, you know, and you actually have a choice into how excited you get about things as well. Like, you know, just be excited about going to the gym. It's a part of your day where you get to go and be with your friends and, you know, you get to in, enjoy, you know, an hour out of working or being at home or whatever it is that, you know, that you do. It's it's a place where often people say they come to have fun and it's up to you whether you have fun or not, really, at the end of the day. So yeah, it's... Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it might be repetitive and yes, you know, you might have to do some things that aren't as sexy as, you know, what other people are doing. But, it, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's about showing up. It's about getting into the gym as often as you can. It's about being functional. It's about being a better human. It's just about, you know, sometimes about sucking it up. 
Yeah. Just so you can show up, right? Just, yeah. just get there. So <laughs> what did you do? And I wanted to ask this from the perspective of like, while you're pregnant, I know that you would have done what you could early on with your diet to just fucking eat. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously you've got, you've got nine months. So, or I think you might've had a little bit less than nine months. Yeah. <laughs> you had a speedy yeah. delivery at the end. But um, so if you're coaching someone now who's pregnant or trying to get pregnant, what are the yeah. things that you did that you would be now coaching people in that position to do with their diet? With if, Whether it's, hey, like what kind of foods you were trying to eat, what kind of foods you were trying to avoid, um, what you did with regards to how you felt energy wise, what, what was it that you were doing during that um, so I think that my, my main thing was was actually just to try to really push everything out that I had, um, I guess, worked on previously, which was, you know, um, either becoming leaner or building muscle. I tried to just push all of that out and go right now. I just need to make sure that I'm eating enough to be satisfied. Um, and that was kind of a real um, play on intuitive eating. I had done intuitive eating before and, and you know, allowed myself to be in that space. Um, but I think that this time it was more about not trying to put too many expectations on myself because during different phases of your pregnancy, there are going to be times where you feel really hungry and there are going to be times where you actually can't eat very much because your stomach is being so squashed that you just don't have the capacity to eat big meals anymore. And so it was this play for me. It was a bit of a roller coaster of like in that first trimester, okay, what do I need to get? And I knew that I needed to get a well-balanced diet in, but it was like, well, what can I actually stomach? Because who like if I eat a capsicum right now, I might just throw it straight back up. So it was like, well, there's no point in doing that if I'm just going to bring it straight back up. So it was about kind of playing with what I could stomach, what made me feel good, and then trying to get in bits and pieces of, um, you know, the nourishment that I knew my body needed as well at the same time. And, you know, I was taking a, a multivitamin and a prenatal and all of those things advised by my GP. Um, and then once I was able to move through that part, that sort of second trimester is where things get good. You have more energy, you have, you know, you still have room to eat food. And that's when I really kind of went ham on like, you know, making sure my meals were well-rounded, that I was taking the um, before where I was like, okay, what can I eat and what do I feel like eating? Now it was more about, okay, what do I need to eat? And that was making sure I was getting a really nice big variety of the rainbow with my veggies um, and then eating as often as I could and just making sure that I was feeling satisfied. So not stuffed, not hungry. And it, that could have been, you know, eating five or six times a day, but it wasn't, it wasn't that big kind of leap into a huge appetite that sometimes you you think would come with pregnancy, like this whole eating for two um, uh, sentence that gets bandied around a bit. Um, it kind of didn't ever reach that for me. I never really felt like I was eating a whole lot more than I was before, um, but it was just about making sure my diet was super well-rounded. Um, I didn't avoid anything. I still ate things that I wanted. Um, you know, there's a lot of stigma um, around eating sugar during your pregnancy because of gestational diabetes, which is just like, ladies, just get rid of that. You, you're not going to get gestational diabetes from eating too much sugar during your pregnancy. You either get it or you don't. Um, and there's so much guilt and so much shame that comes with that as well. And women just really feel like they've failed themselves and failed their babies before they're even born. Um, but 
also making sure that I was eating things that had allergens in them. So eggs and nuts and all of that sort of stuff as well to make sure that, you know, I was doing everything I could to prepare my baby for the outside world. Yeah, that's a really good point. I follow some of these pages like Feeding Littles and Solid Starts. They're great. I'm I'm so clucky right now. <laughs> but they talk a lot about like allergens and testing them and bringing them in and introducing them. And uh, I guess that's a really good point that you can do that while they are still in the womb. Yeah, it's super scary. I'm so scared about starting solids. Like I can't even tell you. It's it's very very <laughs> scary. Um, but yeah, and you know, it's something I did during breastfeeding as well. You know, I ate peanut butter and stuff, which was yeah. cool. You're like, oh, okay. I guess I'll eat some peanut butter. I'll <laughs> have some peanut butter. Yeah, no, if I have uh, to. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's um, so interesting. It is interesting. And then that last trimester small meals as often as you can to help with things like reflux and um, just not, uh, you know, overfilling yourself, just being okay with eating seven or eight small meals a day, because that's probably going to be much better for you, especially when you go to lay down at night. That's when I experienced most of my reflux was in that last trimester. And as I lay down to go to sleep and I found that if I didn't eat too soon before bed, and if I had a, a mace where I just had small meals, that, that really helped. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And how was your sleep throughout this? Like, I, I mean, from like first all the way through to the third or final trimester. Yeah. I slept really well right up until I want to say probably 30 weeks, 31 weeks. Um, I never had pregnancy insomnia. I know that's a thing that um, can happen that you actually just can't sleep and you're just wide awake. Um, I never had that, but I was just so uncomfortable um, towards the end. And I, every time I rolled from one side to the other, um, I woke up, like fully woke up. And then reflux, having reflux is just the absolute worst. If you, when I would wake up and then I would get that burn in my throat or, you know, if I was just laying a particular way and I'd get that burn in my throat, it was just, it was awful to the point where some, some nights it just made me, made me feel like I was going to throw up. So um, yeah, the reflux and just being so big and uncomfortable towards the end was really impacted my sleep because he was all out in front as well. Like I just was all, all belly, all out in front. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so it just, that that sort of thing plus it was uh, summer as well when I was um heavily pregnant so the last three months were literally January February March so um I was hot and I was very uncomfortable (laughs) oh god yeah I can imagine so a question that I really want to know is what was your sex life like what happened how did you guys roll with sex during pregnancy and I'm going to ask you the same question for recovering from birth Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, look, I think in the, in the first trimester, I definitely wanted to have more sex. Like I, the, the, um, my hormones and everything were definitely on in terms of that, um, <laughs> that, that side of things. But I just, so, so often I just felt so sick. Like there were times where I was just like, I'm like, I really want to, but I can't. Um, <laughs> this could go either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was bad. Um, and then the second trimester, like it just, it's just one of those weird things. Like your body is changing so much, and like all of a sudden you have this 
belly that wasn't there before or maybe your belly is much bigger than it was before or whatever it is and and it it's it's awkward it gets in the way it's like it just a changes the, your version your vision of yourself as well you know like mm. how what a, what must I look like you know from an <laughs> outside perspective you know what you look like from your point of view but from someone else's point of view um and then the third trimester, I was just like, it was just an, it was just no deal. Like I was so tired and I was so uncomfortable and so heavy and so all of the so things that, um, yeah, it just wasn't just not on my radar at all. Yeah, I guess sometimes when I think about like what would sex be like during pregnancy, I purely think about your body. So it's like, well, I guess it's just making a different, like figuring out a different position. But what I don't factor in is you will feel tired you will be getting shit sleep. You don't know how sick you're going to be or the reflux. Like you don't know all those other things. So it's yeah. like the the actual like physical body being potentially like, oh, there's just this lump we have to work around. Like that's a very small part of the equation, I guess. Yeah, and logistics. Like let's not, let's not forget about logistics as well. Like, you know, I was, I worked right up until he was born because he came early um Carl was working really long hours really late hours and I would get home from working all day at the gym and I I would just go straight to bed um because I was just absolutely ruined and I would be sleeping during the day when I could as well I slept at the gym like I was just yeah I was a mess in that third trimester and especially that last week leading into the the birth I always thought he was going to come early um mm. but that week leading up to going into labor, I was a mess. Like, honestly, I can't even describe to you the level of fatigue and the, just the change in myself that I felt it was, um, it was like, Whoa, something is happening. Yeah. Do you think that that was like the first signs of like, you're like, Oh, this is, this is, it's, this is now this, it's happening. Like, was that when you look back on it, you're like, Oh, there was a dramatic shift huge shift um i had um i had induction acupuncture on um monday and i went into labor the following monday so um i went and had that and i i remember driving back to the gym and just getting to the gym and being like i feel really weird like i feel <laughs> so out of it and like i just want to go to bed and i think i ended up laying on the couch that we have in the member area and like falling asleep for an hour and then waking up and being like, I don't know where I am and what's happening. Like this is a very weird feeling. And then it just progressively got worse from there. So every day after that, I just got more tired. I got, I just felt more sluggish. I felt like I couldn't focus on things and it was all just very, just a very slow trajectory down to um, feeling really rubbish. I remember seeing a friend oh at the park walking my dog on a Friday and being like, I don't feel good. Like, I'm like, if this gets any worse, I feel like I need to go to the doctor. Like something is happening and I just feel really rubbish. Um, I just thought I was getting COVID or I was getting sick or something. Um, but uh, yeah, that just led me straight into labor on the following Monday morning. Yeah. So you went into the, you actually went to the hospital for a checkup, I think, right? Yeah. So I, um, so I was, essentially I was walking Maggie in the park and I was having to stop every like 10 steps and like catch my breath. And I was like, Oh, this is weird. I don't, this doesn't feel like me. I've been walking Maggie in the park every morning 
throughout my whole pregnancy and I had never once felt like that. And then I got home and I sat on the couch and all of a sudden I just felt like um, period pain. So it was pain that was radiating around from my spine around to my hips. And I was like, I know that that's what they describe as um, labor pains. And so I was like, well, maybe it's early. Maybe it's just Braxton Hicks. I'm like, I had this great app on my phone. And I was like, I'll time them and just see what's happening. And um, I timed them and they were exactly three minutes apart and they were oh. not getting any, wasn't getting any longer. It wasn't getting any shorter. They were all exactly the same. I think I, I think out of like, just for 100% certainty in myself, I think I timed maybe 30 of them before I rang the hospital because I was <laughs> like, I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't just like having, yeah, Braxton hits. Um, and so I rang my student midwife first and I told her what was happening and she was like, yeah, ring the hospital, just let them know. So I rang the hospital and they're like, look, you're technically early because I was 36 plus six at this point. And so they're like, we need you to come in Um and so I was like, okay, I guess we're going in. And um, it was so lucky because it was a public holiday. And so that meant that Carl was, um, had left the gym early oh, and right, yeah. didn't have to go back to work that day. And it was all kind of just like a, a happy coincidence that it was a Monday and that it was a public holiday. <laughs> okay, yeah. so you get to the hospital, then what? Tell us your birth story. All right, I will do my absolute best. It's almost, it, it's not that long ago and yet it's, it already fades the, the memory mm -hmm. of it. Um, which did you, moment, I know you did a, you did a great Instagram post on it. Did you write it down like closer yes. to the time as well? Yeah. I, I feel like did. that will be key. Yeah, I, I did. I, I think I wrote that Instagram post only maybe like a week after he was born. So it was still quite fresh in my mind. Um, but the hospital actually gives you a really cool document that has all your timings and stuff on it for like your third stage and your second oh. and first stage that has all the times, which is actually quite cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. But anyway, I went to the hospital and they were like, you know, can you, uh, can we perform a, um, a cervix exam? Um, we want to see if you are um, dilated. Um, and that happened. Actually, I'll take a step back you have to go to emergency when you are having a baby at the women's. So you don't just go up to like the normal, you know, desk or whatever and be like, you know, this is happening. You actually have to go through emergency. So um, I went through emergency. They checked me in. I went straight around to the back and I was seen by a nurse and she was basically checking the normal things. And, but she was like, you're working really hard. We can see you're working hard. Um, so we're going to take you up to the birth suite. And I was like, oh, okay, this is really happening. <laughs> like I was still in denial. <laughs> like, okay, this is happening. So um, I went up and yeah, they asked if they could perform a, a, an exam, an internal exam. And I was like, yes, you can. And so they did. And they were like, look, you are laboring, but your cervix is closed, which basically means that you haven't, you haven't progressed to the next stage of pregnancy where, you know, babies actually started to come down. So um, they were like, we're going to give you some panadine fort and we're going to leave you for an hour and a half and see what's happening. Um, and you're probably just going to go home. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but I was really in two minds about taking this medication. I was like, I'm so far along in my pregnancy. I'm basically having contractions. I'm like, should I be taking this medication I was really in two minds about it um and so I spoke to had my you midwife. taken 
had you taken things like panadine or ibuprofen throughout your pregnancy or had you no. avoided it? No, I didn't. I um, I don't generally take tablets anyway. I'm kind of one of those people that's like if I have a headache or whatever, I just really try to work through it because I don't like taking tablets. And I think mm. I've gone so far in my adult life now of not taking tablets that it's not the first thing that I think of. Um, but I did take Claritin because I was struggling hard with um, hay fever. And even that was like just I was just – it's amazing just all of a sudden how how hard you have to think about these decisions when you you know you're carrying um, another human life because you're like this isn't just yeah. about anymore, it's about them as well um but yeah so i i spoke to my midwife and she was like look it's not going to do any harm she goes it's either going to work or it's not she was like either you you know you feel better and, and the laboring stops and we send you home or your body is ready, the baby is ready, and you will just continue to progress. She's like, they're the two options that are going to happen. Um, and so effectively, the Panadine Fort did nothing. And an mm. hour and a half later, I was absolutely in labor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I went from being like, no, no opening whatsoever to being three centimeters dilated in that next hour and a half. And so you started like obviously at the gym with like, oh, I have this period pain and I think that this might be something. Well, how did the pain like explain the degree of like the sensations and the pressure and what you had happening? Yeah, it's crazy actually because I like I had no idea what to expect. And I think that's what makes pregnancy so, or having a baby so scary is because you're going into this whole situation of unknown. You have no idea what it's going to feel like. You have no idea what's going to happen. This was the luckily my second time being in a birth suite because I had a little scare at 20 weeks where I, I had some blood appear um, which ended up being nothing and it was all fine but otherwise I hadn't even seen where I was going to give birth and this is makes up a whole big part of this um I guess scared way that women go into birthing and I want to talk about that a bit more later um but uh it's interesting how the experience for me became completely not scary once I was in it which was so bizarre because I was really frightened all the way up to this point about how it was going to be and how it was going to feel and then once I was there I was like no I don't want to leave I want to do this today and I, I let's just let things happen um but yeah so the pain was like really like mild period pain but it was just it would come in waves which was very unlike a period so rather than it being there and just staying there and you feeling that pain like consistently it was it would wrap around my body and it would do it for a certain amount of time and then it would stop and then it would do it for a certain amount of time and then it would stop and that's what they're timing they're timing the how long the pain is there and then how long it's not there for and then as things progress, the pain gets substantially worse. Um, and so the what they classify as the third stage is when you actually start um, dilating. So anything before that, it's, they don't count that. Um, it was after you start uh, dilating. So um, it's like that's the buy-in like, until you get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't count. Just the buy-in. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you get no points for this. Nothing at that point. Um, but, yeah, I was just checking my notes. I was in that first stage for five hours and 30 minutes. Um, yeah, okay. So just like rolling waves of pain and then it would it was just timed. 
Yeah. And I used a TENS machine. And I think that being a CrossFitter, the TENS machine was like the best thing ever because it was basically like an EMOM. I would time how long the contraction was on and then I knew I was going to get a break. And for a certain amount of time, that is, um, it's very consistent. So for that five hours and 30 minutes, it was every three minutes I was having a contraction and I knew how long it was going to go for and that that helped me mentally. And then they just progressively got shorter. And at this point I was getting Carl to basically push on my hips and like push them in and down. And that really helped me manage the, the pain along with the TENS machine. Um, and Were you standing or kneeling or? I was in a couple of positions. Yeah, I was never on my back. Um, I had a shower at one point and I can't remember when that was, but I never got dressed again after that. I was naked from then on um, and I couldn't stand in the shower. That's kind of the level of pain I was at. And I think that was must have been in that either end of that third stage or early second stage. Um, I couldn't stand up by myself. I, I had to have somebody holding me. And so, um, and because my contractions were so close together, I never went back in the shower because the the thought of having to walk there and also <laughs> having to do anything was just like <laughs> a, a no go. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't. My brain was just like, no, you're having a contraction in like 45 seconds. No, you're staying right where you are. Um, but I did a combination of being on all fours, um, on leaning on the bed, like with my arms on the bed. Um, I remember having to go on my side at one point because my whole labor from when they counted, so five, half, was like eight hours. And so there was so much time was spent on all fours that like I just said at one point, I'm like, I can't hold my head up anymore. Like I was just from being in that position so long, my neck was aching. I just couldn't continue being in that position anymore. And so I ended up laying on my side for a bit. But then every time they want to check you and check how dilated you are, you have to go on your back. And that was just excruciating. Every time mm. I, they made me lay on my back, it was just so, I was in so much pain. Um, and uh, yeah, but I ended up birthing him um, in a semi-squat position. So they raised the back of the bed up to like about 45 degrees and I had my hands and my head up here and then I was like, I guess, frog-legged on the bed itself and I was just yeah. basically going up and down with every contraction. I was just pushing into that squat position every time I, I felt a contraction. Um, and uh, I remember at one point the midwife saying to me, do you have any pressure? And I was like, oh, my God, so much pressure, so much pressure. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> all the pressure. Yeah, all the pressure. Oh, okay, all right. And then they checked me again and she's like, yep, you're 10 centimetres dilated and, you've, and you're, um, I can't remember the term now, but basically like when your cervix becomes really thin, that's kind of, and she's like, yes, it's, it's time to push. Um, it's go time. Yeah. It's Did you feel time. ready to push? Like I know that I've read people say, you know, people in movies and stuff like push, 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 and you have to force it. But what the reality yeah. is, is that somebody likened it to the feeling of needing to throw up. It's like you can experience the need to throw up 
but you know, you're not going to throw up until you really, you're going to throw up. It's like, there's a different sensation. It's like, I feel sick and I feel like I'm going to throw up, but when I'm actually about to throw up, it's like a very different feeling. It's like my mouth is saliva. Like I'm just like my stomach and everything in it. You get like tingles and you get warm and you're like, Oh God, it's happening. Was it that? Did you feel like you had that experience of pushing? Um, when she, so when she asked me about the pressure, I was like, yes, but in my mind, I was like, oh my God, is this like the, is this the push pressure or is this just pressure, pressure? And it ended up being that, um, it, I was almost ready to push, but actually that real big pressure was uh, my waters hadn't broke yet. And so, yeah. And so as I was like getting into that final stage of being ready to push, I obviously then broke my waters and it broke in like full Hollywood style. Like someone had just dropped a water balloon from the the ceiling. Like it was just like, and this, the fluid just went everywhere. Um, And uh, yeah, so that was an experience in and of itself. And I felt relief after that, but then I really felt that urge then to, to push, but it's weird. Like you have these contractions and your body's doing it for you. Like I, didn't feel like I actively had to push. I felt like I actively had to not push. And there were times when the midwife would say to me, okay, stop. And that was really hard. Mm, it was really wow. Cool. But that's them trying to help to make sure that you don't that you don't tear and that you don't do yourself a lot of damage by just basically, you know, pushing this thing out in one go. So they were really great in guiding me through that part. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was very much of a okay, push and then stop and then push and then stop. Um, and, uh, you, there was, there was one, there was one point in there where they were like, I, you know, I really need you to push into your bottom and you actively have to like, think about pushing the weight down right into your bottom. Like as literally as if you're going to do a poo, that is exactly. Yeah. Yeah feeling they're trying to get you to do. And that's why so many women do poo. I didn't poo. I will say that I didn't poo. Um, I was going to say it's good for the baby if you poo, right, because they get exposed to that bacteria and it builds their gut. Yeah, totally. All of the the fluids and all of that stuff, it's like keep it there, man. Yeah, it's all good. Um, But Finn did a poo on the way out, which was hilarious (laughs) because I looked down at at the sheet afterwards and I was like, was that me? Did, did I do that? And they were like, no, no, that Finn did that. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I thought I did poo, but I didn't. That's so funny. So I love that, like, as we're walking through this, there are things that, you know, I thought was what you were meant to do or what was meant to happen. And then as I've kind of learned more and more about it, it's like, no, 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 like, that's just the movie version. So I think oh. um, being on your back is one of those things that I'm like, I have not talked to a woman yet who was like, oh yeah, I really enjoy being on my back and that felt like where I was meant to be. I think that is a uh, like medical uh, position that was not designed to serve the woman giving birth. And then the pushing thing, like like not over pushing, you know, it's like all you see in movies is like push. Yeah. Um, what were some of the other things that I was going to say? Like the, I guess the birth position, which is the same as lying on your back, like people being able to bear down by like pressing down on something or pulling and yeah. hanging off something. Yeah. Um, 
And then, um, oh, the other things were like, like you said, like water's not breaking, like a lot of babies being born still in their amniotic sac. Um, and then the cord being around the neck, which is the wildest thing I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of women giving birth on Instagram now because of all the pages I follow. And honestly, half of them, the babies come out with a cord wrapped around the neck. And in those moments, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, fuck, the cord, Jesus, what are they going to do? And they are so relaxed and calm. And everyone's like, like a lot of the mothers actually do it themselves. They like pull the baby out and just like unwrap the cord just casually. It's all fine. And then the baby will hang out for a moment, not doing anything say anything my heart is racing and then it'll eventually cry because it doesn't need oxygen when it's still got the uh, cord so it's like oh all these things that (laughs) it's just crazy so have there been some other ones that you're like oh I thought it was this and then I realized it was that even I know you had a birthing plan that you were really proud of the way that you executed it was there that experience being in the hospital yeah so um I read this book and I brought it with me because I think everyone who where's the camera there I think everybody who is um pregnant or thinking about being pregnant or wanting to be pregnant should read this book um it's by Gabrielle Nancaro um and she talks a lot about um the the optimal birthing environment and how it's called the birth space by the way for anybody listening the birth space yes um and also anything written by Raya Dempsey um she's got some great books Um, that talk about the way that the medical industry has um, created birth as being a very scary and medicalized thing. And it's not. It's not a scary medicalized thing at all. It is a very um, primal thing that we do know how to do. And, yes, we are so lucky that we have medical intervention and all of those things that are available to us should we need them. Um, But we have made birthing scary for women. And we've made it a procedure, right? Even yeah. if you go to the emergency department, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like birthing shouldn't be in a hospital. It should be, yeah, it's bizarre. When you, I think when you start to see through some of that stuff. Totally. And, you know, I really would like, would have liked to have had a home birth, um, but I think you need everybody to be on board with that if that's something that you're going to do. Um, and so birthing in the hospital was the right choice for us in the end. Um, but I was very, um, I was very vocal about what I wanted and how I wanted it to be. And that was for it to be dark and for it to be music playing and for it, people to speak in quiet voices and for them to only actually ask me questions if they needed to be asked and, you know, not not um, make this a very clinical thing and not repeat questions. It's very hard, though, in a in a public system you have shift changes and when you birth over the course of 24 hours, which I almost did, you have shift changes and you have different midwives. And I was so incredibly lucky. I had three of the most amazing midwives throughout my my birth. Um, but because I was 36 plus six, I had to be very adamant about some of the things that they wanted to do. So because I was technically preterm, even though it was like 12 hours, they wanted to do continuous monitoring, which was to have the monitor attached to my belly the whole time. And I was considering having a water birth. And so I didn't want that because it meant I couldn't go in the water. Um, they wanted to give me antibiotics as well, which I was very adamant that I didn't want because that, again, meant you had to have a, um, a, a, a basically a drip in your arm. And I was like, no, I don't want that. And also because I just felt it was so unnecessary and so crazy that all of these things would be implemented if I gave birth 
pre-midnight. As soon as it ticked over to 12.01, none of those things would have been necessary anymore. And that just seemed mm. crazy to me. It was like one day. It's just um, an arbitrary rule, yeah. Yeah, so there are lots of things that I think that if you do the research and you you know how you would like to birth and you try to create the most relaxed environment you can, it, it really helps. And we talk about this with, with lots of things. We talk about this with sleep and stress you know, we create these really stressful environments. And when you look at the hospital, it's fluorescent lights, there's monitors beeping, there's people coming in and out all the time, there's, you know, loud voices and, and all these sort of stuff. That's not an environment where you're going to feel safe to give birth. Um, and that's what a lot of these books really talked about and, and really helped me to understand how I wanted to birth if I was going to birth in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you do you think that you would have a home birth next time if you were to have another kid or if you were to do it again? It um, seems like you kind of got the best of both worlds though. Like I got super of- lucky. I got so lucky because I just spoke to a friend of mine who birthed at the same hospital and she um was in left in the waiting room for 17 hours. Um and basically oh. she went through her entire labor um in the <gasps> waiting room, which oh, is fuck. Um, I just couldn't think of anything worse. Like I just think about where I was at that point, which was A, naked, and B, being supported um, quite physically by my my birthing partner. Um, I just can't imagine how I would have been feeling if I was sitting in a chair in a waiting room, mm-hmm. like surrounded mm-hmm. by other people and people coming in and out. It's an emergency department. Oh, like crazy. So did you, did, I got sorry, continue your story. I have one question that's not related to yes. this, but continue. Oh, oh well, I, I actually just wanted to ask about whether you ever at any point were considering an epidural during it. No, um, no, it didn't cross my mind and it was bloody painful. Like it really was <laughs> painful. Um, I'm not going to downplay that at all, but um, the TENS machine was a bloody godsend. I don't even know how I found it or what even made me think to look into it, but probably some Instagram sponsored posts that came across my feed and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And um, the more I read about it and the more that I read women's experience with it, I was like, this sounds like something I really want to give a go. Um, I've seen so many wives posting like the TENS machine is like a godsend to use it. Oh my God. I didn't even use it properly. Like I, for those of you who are following, some people may not know. Can you explain what the TENS machine is? It's essentially like a, um, an electric charge. So it's, it looks like a, um, a heart monitor. You basically stick these electrode pads on you in, in specific places. And then you have this little, I guess, thing that you hold onto that has a screen and the labor ones because they're not all labor ones but this one i hired um from bliss birth um was a labor specific one and it tells you how long when you press the button to make the electric um electromagnetic waves come through it times how long that's on for and then it will also time how long between you pressing stop and start again so it basically times your contractions for you um and as i yeah, and so as I said before, that helped me stay in the zone and stay mentally with what I was doing because I was like, it's going to go for this long and then I'm going to get this break and then it's going to go for this long and then I'm going to get this break. So the it pain- looks like one of those um, Mark Pro complex, the little like um, it, yeah. it's it's the same thing. It's like a charge where it stimulates or contracts the muscle for you, right? Yeah, and it's like I can't a remember sleep. what the brand is. 
it's it's like it's like from what I remember, it's like a sting. So it's it's almost like your the the electrode is like vibrating your skin so fast and so hard that it's like yeah, it's like a, a little sting. And mm. I'm guessing that the science behind this is that it's basically trying to tra- transfer what you're thinking about from one place <laughs> to another. Um, but for me, honestly, that little that little timer, like who knows, maybe the electromagnetic magnetic stuff was, I don't even know if that's right. Well, right I mean, stuff. I'm sure it stimulates some muscle and gets some blood flow, right? Like some blood flow is probably good. I don't know, but that's so interesting. I mean, I think like you said, it's like, if you know how long you have to deal with pain mentally, you are so much more capable of dealing with it rather than it, yeah. you just don't know when it's going to end. It's like, that isn't yeah. a scary place to be. <laughs> I've even been reading a book about like performance right now. And it's saying exactly that. If you you can predict how long you're suffering for your ability to perform increases massively um it's the vo2 max test where it's like you hop on a treadmill or on a bike you have a mask on and they just increase the intensity speed or resistance whenever they like over the a a period of time until you cannot go anymore and what they did is as an experiment they compared that with same same kind of test it's like you're going to just get yourself to a point of total failure but you have a 10 minute window within which you do that and you adjust it whenever you want so you can adjust it every 30 seconds every minute at the halfway point whatever it is and you just know 10 minutes and it's going to be done and the test scores were like much much higher from a huge percentage of people doing this little experiment compared to the vo2 max test where it's like just they someone else is pressing the button for you yeah 100%. 100%. Look, we all know that we, I think we all know that we deal better with things that we can, I guess, like perceive or predict the outcome of, which is, you know, which is not birth. But that that TENS machine, I guess, did give me maybe some of that control back as in just mentally knowing what was yeah. coming and how long it was going to come for. Um, and then by the time it got really bad, and for me, it really didn't get super bad until that that last hour. Um and the actual pushing itself, um, that there's no time for it at that stage. Um, you know, you're well past the point where mm. you can have an epidural. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, it, I didn't consider it, no. And I also think, too, from all of the things that I read as well, um, Raya, talks, uh, Raya Dempsey talks a lot about this, um, the epidural wave where you have an epidural and that's, takes the pain away yes but it also slows everything down and so it can actually make the labor and the process of having a baby a lot longer and also then the chances of having to have more interventions after that increase so your chances of then having to have an episiotomy increases your chances of having um a vacuum increase or you know Mm, uh, or whatever um and so, yeah, and then the chance of having uh, having to have an emergency cesarean then also increases. So hmm. I was trying to avoid that at all costs because I wanted to try and um, have the least amount of intervention possible, which is why I said no to antibiotics and it's why I said no to, you know, continuous monitoring and all that sort of stuff hmm. as well. Hmm. Um, but if I didn't rule it out, and I even said to Carl at one point as well, I was like, would you think differently of me if I if I needed to have an epidural. Um, And, you know, now looking back on it, it's such a silly question because when you're in it, you're in it and you just do what you need to do. And if if I needed to have an an epidural, I would have asked for it. Um, But it's, 
this also like this whole world of birthing and babies and mothering and like there's so much stigma attached to so many different things that I have nothing against an epidural if you need to have one if you want to have one Mm. have one like I've got nothing against it whatsoever this was just the way that I wanted to do things um and uh, I was very lucky that it all went the way that I wanted it to and I had very minimal damage as a result so um Mm. that that was wonderful Okay, and then tell us about when the baby arrived. Oh, well, so he arrived. Apart from, apart from him pooping himself. <laughs> I know, how good is that? Um, that? That's out on the internet forever now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so he came out really fast in the end. Um, so they were really trying to slow down the process of getting his head out um, because he was trying to come out quite fast. And then once the head came through, it's kind of like, it's literally like an octopus. That's the only way I can describe it. And you've probably <laughs> seen the videos that you've watched as well. Like once the head comes it out, is, it's yeah. just like, yeah. Yeah, um, you get one shoulder and then it's like, it's like, it's just so slippery. They just, it looks like they slip out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it kind of feels like that as well. Once you get, once you get the head out, it really does feel like the rest of it comes out really fast. Um, he came out so fast that he took on quite a lot of mucus on the way out. Um, and so he didn't cry straight away. And I was like, obviously I was looking that way and he come out that way. So I couldn't see, I was just waiting to hear him cry and I didn't hear anything. And so the next minute I just heard them saying, Carl, you need to come over here. And so they had to basically cut the cord straight away and take him over and and put him on the resource table, which was so scary. And I remember just staring at my student midwife like, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he okay? Um, And she was like, everything's okay. Don't worry. It's all fine. And I'm like, you would say that even if it wasn't. Yeah, Um, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but um yeah and then I heard him cry and honestly like I just start, I just remember crying just feeling like oh my god he's okay everything's okay um and then once they brought him over to me and um put him on my chest I was just I think I was stunned like Carl came over to me and he was just like you know he was like I'm so proud of you and they gave me a kiss and stuff and I was just like oh my god what's happened like where am I is <laughs> <laughs> this a dream yeah oh my. Yeah, it, it was yeah. all crazy. It's real life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that whole thing That's crazy. So it's so interesting hearing you talking about crying because I think the same thing. It's like I imagine it's just tears of joy and you're just so in love and like how amazing. But it's like you've been terrified because you don't know what the fuck is going to happen and you're so afraid yeah. of something going wrong that it's just yeah. tears of relief. You're just like, yeah. oh my God. Like you just, it's like you crack at that point. Yeah, 100%. It's tears of relief because he was crying and breathing. It was tears of relief because, mm. you know, he was he was beautiful and he had 10 fingers and 10 toes and, you know, like it, it was just it uh, like, yeah, it, it was surreal. It was surreal. Mm. Um, but that's when the real fun part started. That's when the, you know, the doctor comes in and they, um, no, sorry, I had to birth that bloody placenta. At, oh, at the- Yes. talk about it because they forget but my god birthing the placenta was a whole other experience like the whole time during my birth I was making these incredibly primal noises like I was not screaming it was moaning like it was moaning to the depths of a 
like mm. a primal moan can be. Um, and that's when you know you're really in the depths of labor. When those moans get real low, you know you're like, this is this is happening. Um, <laughs> this is just nature. This <laughs> is 100%. And then... Uh, and then once um once he came out and whatever and they, it took me an hour to birth the placenta um oh. and it's and how how like how far after actually giving birth to Finn did you begin to birth the placenta is it immediately or is there is it similar contractions like what's that process you, I had contractions yeah I, I don't remember how long it took before they started it must have been a little while because I was obviously like basking in the the glory of this tiny human and you know kind of trying to take stock of what happened um but when i when it did start happening it was really quite painful um and i had chosen to birth it naturally so i didn't want to have any drugs to assist with it um but it actually became so painful that the after an hour the midwife's like would you like to have the oxytocin injection to help things along and i was like yes get this thing out of me now um <laughs> And then I remember she was like, we're going to take you over to the toilet because it being in that position and sitting in that position might actually help mm. things along. Mm. So they had to yeah. put this tray in to catch it if it did come out. Um, and I remember feeling this almighty push and I was like, that has to be it. And the midwife was like, that's just more of the cord coming out. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and then finally... This almighty, like almighty push. Um, and the midwife said to me at one point, she was like, "It's not as bad because there are no bones." And I was like, "Okay," but seriously, <laughs> I had to push this thing out. And I remember letting out this noise. I will never forget. It was like the the almighty noise of, "Oh my god! Thank goodness that is out of me!" Like it was just this almighty relief. <gasps> and it's huge the placenta is Mm. massive Mm. massive um and so yeah for anybody listening out there birthing the placenta is rubbish really rubbish (laughs) I guess you have to mentally prepare for that as well like it's like the it it would be so hard to go from like you know we were joking about it the event four is giving birth to the baby but it's like well you've got event four Point one and then 4.2 and if you make the mistake of thinking it's just 4.1 4.2 would just be like this rude awakening of like what the hell <laughs> it's, a cruel, it's a cruel joke it's like you've birthed yeah. a baby done the hard work and now all of a sudden you have to birth something that's just as big as they are um afterwards and I also think too because you've gone through such an event and you think you're done that it yeah, it, it's like having an unexpected event. It's it's like that CrossFit Games workout where they did that massive run and then, like, Dekastro is like, you have to turn around and do it again. Okay, go back. Yeah, it, it, you're, not, you're not ready for it. Um, but, yeah, I just oh, – the sense of relief that came from me when I finally got that placenta out, it was it was next level. But, um, mm. Yeah, and then 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 they had the doctor had to come and inspect me and do the stitches and whatnot whatnot because I had a second degree tear and two grazes. Um, so I came off pretty well, but um, yeah, I definitely had to have some some stitches. Mm, yeah. Okay. And what was the week after that like? So the week after was really tough. Um, not from a recovery perspective, but just because he. 
um, we were having really we we're having a hard time breastfeeding. So um, he was really struggling to latch. He had he was so tiny, and I was only in the hospital for one day. So um, they basically, if you know, if you don't have anything really medically wrong with you, they basically get you get you out as quickly as they can. Um, which makes it really difficult from a breastfeeding point of view because I think that's where you need the most help. And from my point of view, like I had no idea what I was doing. Like that's mm. just the reality of it. Um, the night that I was in hospital, um, I'll never forget that um, he was crying and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I called the midwife in and she was like, so he's done a poo, you're going to need to change his nappy. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, that's, that's part and parcel of having a baby. Right, right, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so, like, just little things like that. Like, I'd never changed a nappy before, and I, I, I didn't know how to. You think that settling a baby is like you know rocking or like you know bouncing with it or whatever, but then you have this tiny little newborn in your hands, and you're like, I actually have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Like, literally none. Um, and because he was early, I didn't get to finish my breastfeeding program. I didn't get to do my like. Um, my birthing class. There were so many things that I just mm. didn't get to have any time off work. Like there were just so many things that I kind of missed out on and that really hit home that first night in the hospital where I was just like, oh, my God, I literally have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and then, yeah, the first week was really hard because he um, was really struggling to latch and we were having a lot of trouble breastfeeding. And um, so he was just starving and he would just scream constantly. Yeah. Like, oh. He just cried and cried and cried and you know um I was trying to like read all these things about baby sleep and stuff and they're like new newborns should only be awake for 45 minutes and we'd be going on like three or four hours of him crying and I'd just be like losing my mind and like just mm. crying sitting and crying being like I have no idea how to fix this mm. um, oh. yeah and so finally like you have midwives that come to your house and the first one that came, she basically just weighed him and was like, oh, cool, he's he's losing a bit of weight. We just need to keep an eye on that. And I was like, yeah, because he's really struggling to feed. Um, and then the next midwife that came, she was great. And she was like, okay, we need to do this and we need to do that. And basically had me on formula top-ups and um, she, you know, helped me with my latch and little things like that. Um, and he was just a different baby after that. Like he was just content he would sleep it was yeah it was crazy the change from week mm. one to week two there you yeah. go that's so crazy yeah it's it, it's the same thing as the placenta like you don't even the same thing as conceiving you think it's just gonna happen and it's just we're built to do this thing and and it's just not the case it's a learning curve massive massive learning curve and you know if I was going to do it again um which I'm definitely not um I mean not that you should you should never say never but I'm I'm pretty certain it's a one and done situation mm -hmm. for me. but if I was going to do it again um I definitely would spend a lot more time working on the things that come afterwards um to make it a more pleasant experience because I don't look back on that first week fondly um it was really hard mm -hmm. and I was really stressed and I was really upset and I felt a bit let down from the system in that sense because you get so many checkups and so much help in the lead up to the birth. And then, mm. you know, you're in hospital for one day and, and then you're on your own. Yeah. On your own. I saw a woman who posted, um, she said something along the lines of like, 
all of the baby clothes, all of the baby gear, like get that stuff secondhand, save your money, spend your money learning about what happens when the baby arrives, learning about breastfeeding, learning about what you need to do for your health, learning about what your body needs, like learning how to settle a baby. It was like spend your money on things like um, lactation um, nurses or consultants, um, sleeping behavior, like sleeping I guess, again, probably consultants um, and then learning how to like feed babies in terms of like when they eventually do do solids and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's funny how I've seen it everywhere. It's like, you know, the fourth trimester is forgotten about. There's not enough care. It's not enough, not enough education. No. If I, you know, to be honest, if I would do it again, I would save a lot of the money that I did spend on the things that I did buy for him um, and I would get a postpartum doula. Um, because mm. I think that having someone in your house that knows what they're doing, that can help you with all of that stuff and can just like, you know, from, from the things that I did read, then look, don't get me wrong. They're, they're not cheap and nor should they be because they, they, they sound like bloody miracle workers. Um, <laughs> but they will cook for you and they will do other things for you and, and they'll hold the baby while you go and have a shower mm. and like mm. just all of those little things that I think, especially if you're someone who doesn't have your partner home with you, um, you know, all day, every day for those first, you know, few weeks or, you know, if you're lucky, six weeks or however long, you know, that some of them are now. Um, a postpartum doula is, like, probably worth their weight in gold. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would, would do differently if I were to do it again, um, just to have that support on the other side. Mm, yeah, yeah, so interesting, right? It's just uh, the thing that we think about last because it comes yeah. last, right? We think of it just in that process because of it. Yeah. God, that's yeah. so wild. I am so grateful that you've shared that whole story. Like that, the detail, it's just, it's awesome. And now you have it on record and Finn, we all know about how you pooped yourself coming out. Yep. <laughs> that's right. You pooped yourself on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I actually think we're going to bring this to an end now. Um, yeah. We've covered up, we've covered a lot of ground and I'm super excited for it. Just like the stuff that you've learned. Um, and the way that you're going to be coaching with it. Like it's, it's, it's only going to make you level up even more somehow, which is really yeah. cool. So yeah. that's really awesome. Um, and for you guys who haven't met Steph before, Steph is now a coach with us at CFK Nutrition. So if you want to hang out with Steph more, um, that's where you can find her. Um, she's Coach Steph M on yep. Instagram. That's me. Um, and her and her partner run CrossFit CBD in Melbourne. So if you're ever in Melbourne, Victoria, in Australia, it's a really great gym. It's in the middle of the city. It's on Flinders Lane now, I believe. Um, yes. It's just this awesome little gym tucked away. You guys are all level three trainers. Um, it's it's a really wicked place. So if you're ever there, please go and say hi. Yeah, come see us. It's um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Thank you for Greg having me. Greg was there just recently. Greg you was are. dropping in. He was like, man, it's so nice to go to a gym where it's like, it's just a great class. Great class. You get great coaching, like good warm ups. And it was, it was, I think it was like thrusters one day and then some other workout another day. He's like, God, it's so good. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. so nice. Yeah. We're pretty old school. I'll, I'll, I think that's probably the best way to sum us up. We're, we're very old school. We follow very, very traditional CrossFit methodologies and styles of running classes and we run the cat programming there now as well which i think has sits perfectly well with us because you know we're yeah we're we're full crossfit and carl is very Mm. much a um an og when it comes to all of that Mm. stuff he's 
very much by by the CrossFit book. So um, yeah, I could say it's it's very authentic. Yeah, a hundred percent, and and done fucking well. Like great coaching. Thanks. Awesome, girlfriend. Well, we'll have to catch up again. I know we kind of ended up talking about babies and birth a lot. So we'll have to do another one where we talk about coaching and nutrition and, and some of more of that stuff. So thank you for coming on and uh, we'll thank chat you soon. Me. Yeah, see ya.